So good to be here. Uh, we've just been joined by live stream, so we welcome everybody who's come on to live stream if they can be with us this morning. And we're going to continue on the second week of John's Gospel. And I really feel excited about this Gospel. I feel that the theme of the Gospel right through is about life. It's about the life that God wants to give us, the life, the abundant life, the life that is filled with God. And and last week we looked at how, uh, we looked at the continuous power of the Word of God. We looked at just that one phrase in John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And then last week we kind of went right back to the beginning of the Old Testament and we took a quick sort of walk through it. And I want to just very quickly, for anyone who wasn't there, just to remind you of like three main things that we said last week. And the first one was that Jesus is the Word. He is God, the Word of God. And it's three in one. He's the, he's the, he's the, he is God and he's part of the three in one, part of the Trinity. He's the one who created the universe. We saw last week that he spoke and it was done. The power of his word is just beyond anything we can imagine. He is all powerful. And last week we saw that he has creative power to call forth miracles. And as well as that, we saw that he was the God of the Old Testament who spoke right through the Old Testament to individuals. He's a communicator. And we talked last week how he, God loves to communicate with his people. And then thirdly, we saw last week that whilst there was no prophetic word between the Old and the New Testament, there was like four, 400 years where it seemed that God's voice was silent through the prophets. We learned last week that God was still working behind the scenes. And I want to remind you of that. If you feel at the moment that God seems silent, you need to believe and thank him and praise him that he is working for you behind the scenes because sometimes he allows us he, he allows us to, to be in that place where he's calling us up to greater trust and greater faith. And sometimes he wants to stir us up and he wants us in faith to thank him for what he's about to do. So we saw that last week, the power of the word. Now, during the summer, as I keep telling you, uh, I go to Fort Ventura and, uh, and I love to walk on the beach and pray. And one of the things that really caught me uh, while I was on the beach was a ship. One morning I noticed this ship out at sea and I noticed that there was smoke coming through like the funnel of the ship or whatever. It seemed a strange ship to me and I thought, gosh, there must be a fire in the engine of that ship. And then I thought, surely they don't have fires in ships nowadays. And talked to Jane afterwards and she said well maybe it was you know the power of the oil in the engine or whatever but there was smoke coming out of that ship and as I walked the beach I just felt like God said to me my word of course we know it, it's already said in Jeremiah 23 29 the Lord says this is not my word like a fire says the Lord and I just felt Lord we need your fire your word is like a fire and we need it in the engine of our lives we need we need the word to be the driving power in our lives if we want to cut through the ocean of life if we want to go with forward with god we need to be stoked up with his word and have it in our minds and in our very being and so this is why the word of god is so powerful and as we look on today, we're going to continue on with this whole theme of John. We're going to read the first few verses of John's Gospel. And we're going to see, we're going to actually now 
talk about and read what John said, what John, the disciple of Jesus, said. In the beginning, he says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we saw that last week, and we read on to verse 3. He was, that's Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So I wanted to look at these three verses at the beginning, because we're going to look at how John starts to write this gospel. Now, this, was, this gospel was the last one of the gospels to be written. It, it, the gospel of John was written sometime later. John moved, we believe from history, that John moved to Ephesus around AD 66, somewhere 66 to 70 uh, years after Christ. And he wrote this gospel after the other three gospels had been written. Now Matthew, if you, if you read the gospel of Matthew, it's all about how Jesus came as the king of the Jews. And, and you see at the very beginning, the first chapter of Matthew, when it talks about his, his, um, uh, his, his uh, genealogy, you see that it's very particular from Abraham and David right down. It's hearing, showing, proving to the Jews that he really was the king, the promised Messiah that God had promised to come to them. And so Matthew is all about the genealogy of, of, the, of the king. It's all about Jesus coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Jews needed to know he was coming down as promised through the line of Judah. And so Matthew presents Jesus as the king. But then Mark, Mark presents him as a servant. And if you read through, Mark's gospel is much shorter than the other ones. And just as a servant does what he's told and it's quick and he just obeys, that's the way his, his, his gospel is. It's like straightway this and straightway that. And it's very much presenting him as the one who came to be, Jesus came to be the servant of Yahweh, the servant of God himself. And then there's the gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus in his manhood, that he's a real man. And his genealogy in Luke, is, it goes right back to Adam. And it tells you, it shows you lots and lots of stuff that happened where he went to sick people and lots of stories and it's very much geared about his manhood. And then after all of that, we find that gospel, John's gospel is now written and John is writing this gospel and he's writing it to present Jesus as God. He's, he's, he starts straight away with uh, this. Um, he starts straight away with this fact that Jesus is the Word. Now, to the Jewish mind. To talk about God being the word of God. That was something the Jews would have understood. The Jews often referred to, to God as the word of God. Because he had communicated with them right through the Old Testament. So that was a clear thing for them to understand what John was talking about. But then to the Greek mind. In the beginning was the word. In Greek the word had another, they had a very uh, un, great understanding of the meaning of that word as well because the Greek language, the word is the logos. And to the Greek mind, they saw, they, they believed that the word, the logos, was the power. They, they didn't understand it to be Jesus, but they believed it was the power that put sense into the world. They believed that the logos, the word, made the world orderly instead of chaotic. The Greeks believed that, that Logos, or the Word, was the power that set the world in perfect order and kept it going in perfect order. They saw that the Word was the ultimate reason that controlled everything. 
Isn't it amazing that the, that the Greeks, that's, they, that's what they understood of the word. But when John opens his gospel, he's opening up and he's saying, look, for centuries you've been talking and thinking and writing about the word, the Logos. And he's saying, now I'm going to tell you who he is. Now I'm going to introduce you to him because he has come. The word, everything behind everything, everything behind creation, all that you understand in this universe is now coming. And this is how John introduces Jesus as the Word. Now, <clears throat> there's a, a wonderful truth that that uh, that that uh, Dodds, which is a kind of a group service from Wikipedia, he here's what he says. Here's what they say. Um, this description of the of the God being the Word. This description is given in order that we may at once grasp a continuous history. That's going right from back as far as we know from Genesis. A continuous history which runs out of an unmeasured past. You can't actually, it's beyond, it's behind Genesis. It's behind time. We, we can only, God has given us time to live in, that we can make sense of things. But God doesn't dwell in time. We, God lives outside of time. So the word, Jesus, was with God and was God long before time began, long before the creation happened. And so this, this, Dodds, this, this quote says that, that John's talking this way because he wants us to grasp that the continuous history runs out of an unmeasured past. We can't go back far enough. And the identity of the person he wants to give us, the identity of Jesus being that person of that history. And so God wants us this morning, I believe, to realise who he is. That this, the word of God was Jesus. He's the I am of the Old Testament. And that's why in John's Gospel, we're going to see that there's seven I am's in John's Gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. I want you to notice how many of these use this word life. He says, I am the bread of life. That's why he, teach, he, he taught them to pray, give us our daily bread. He's the one, he's the I am. The I am who will never be past or future. He's the present I am. And so he gives us, I am the bread of life. He gives us, I am the resurrection and the life. He gives us, I am the way, the truth and the life. He says he is the light of the world. We're going to look a bit about that today. He calls himself the I am the door. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. Seven I am's in the book of John. So you can see how John, throughout his gospel, wants us to realise he's the I am of the Old Testament. He's Jehovah. He's Yahweh. And he's left heaven. He's left heaven. And he's, he's come down and he's humbled himself to come down into a virgin's womb, a young girl, who had never been a mother before. And he, he's, he's stepped out of glory and he's come down into a virgin's womb and he comes down through the birth canal into this dirty, dark world. Why? Because of the love that he had for you and he had for me. And so we see that John is talking about Jesus being the Word. You know, the description of the Word is so powerful because he's the one who reveals he reveals through himself the Father. 
He comes to, to, with the word, he is the word, and he comes to reveal the heart of the Father. So let's read what it says. He was in the beginning with God. But then it says, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So he is the creator. He's made everything. And I just wanted to read um, a couple of verses to you uh, about Jesus being this wonderful creator. Let me just read it to you. It says here in John that, that through him all things were made. And Galatians 1, 16 to 17, 17 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is, that's Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, have you got that? It's just about everything. Hebrews 1 verses 2 to 3 says, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Do you get it? Do you get how powerful God is. Revelations 4 and 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. 1 Corinthians 8 and 6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. I would love us to get a fresh understanding that through the word, the worlds came into being. He spoke and it was done. His word is so powerful. Now, I read this and I want to read it out to you because I think this kind of blows my mind. When we think about the world, we tend to think about this little ball that we're living on that's spinning around. But you see, God just didn't make us and the world. He made everything. Do you know that they can't go out far enough to come to the end of it because he spoke and it was done. He spoke and the worlds came into being. Do you know that scientists have now discovered that there's a continuous, it's continuously, the word is continuously moving out there. There's more and more because when God speaks, it keeps, the power of his word keeps everything going. Let me read this to you. There are about, and this kind of blows me, blows my mind, so it'll probably blow yours too, that's okay. There are about a hundred billion stars in the average galaxy. Right, so that's hard for us to get, isn't it? But there are at least 100 million galaxies in known space. Now that's, that's quite incredible. Einstein believed that we have scanned with our largest telescopes only one billionth of the space that's out there. Can you imagine that? This means that there are probably something like, and there's like, starts off with 10, and I think I, I counted 23 knots after that, so I don't know how, how you pronounce that. <laughs> That's how many stars they reckon. Oh, here it's given it 10 octillion. How many is that? Well, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand thousands is a million, and a thousand millions is a billion, and a thousand billions is a trillion. 
and a thousand trillions is a quadrillion, and a thousand quadrillions is a quintillion, and a thousand quintillions is a sextillion, and a thousand sextillions is a septillion, and a thousand septillions is an octillion. So ten of those octillions is a ten with 27, 27 zeros behind it. Not 23, 27. And Jesus created them all. Amen. Is that not awesome? Now this is the God that we come to. But more than that, this is the God who came to us. This is the God who made it all with us in mind. This is the God who came to us. This is the God that we can trust. This is the God who loves us enough to leave the glory of heaven behind him and come to this earth because of his love for us. And we can trust such a God. We can trust him because he knows everything about us. He's vast. Do you know, we talked about all those stars it just struck me again, I think it's Isaiah 40, when it talks about God making everything and about the earth and all. He just drops in, or maybe it's in Genesis 1, just drops in, he made the stars also. Just a little aside. Just to give us more light. Just to bless us. He made the stars also. And so we're going to move on to verse 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I would love that we, could, that we could really get the fact that he is the life and he is the light of men. It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend means the darkness couldn't lay hold of it, couldn't, couldn't seize it. The, the darkness couldn't understand it. And it goes on to say in, in the little note, I have a spirit-filled Bible here, and there's a little note that says, the darkness is unreceptive and does not understand the light. But the darkness will never be able to eliminate it. Light and darkness essentially are opposites. The Christian's joy is in knowing that light is not only greater than darkness, but will also outlast the darkness. And so we see that John here, he's talking about the light. He's talking about how Jesus, the word, came to give us life and light. Jesus is the life and the light, and he came to give us light. So here's the thing. Jesus came with one purpose in mind, to go to the cross, to pay for our sin, to buy us back, to redeem us. To redeem our life from destruction, which is a key verse in my heart at the moment from, from Psalm 103. He redeems our life from destruction. He wants to take us out of the darkness, out of destruction. He wants to, he is paid. To redeem means to pay for. He has paid for us to have a life that is free of destruction, that we might walk in the light and not walk in the darkness. He has designed and created us. You're wired up to be linked with heaven. He made you in his image. You are wired up to love him and to worship him. You are wired up for his life, to live his life. And you're wired up to be light bearers. That when you receive him into your heart as your saviour and your Lord. And I pray that everyone here has done that. That there's been a moment in your life where you've said, Lord, I'm in the dark, I'm lost. 
And I'm coming to you and I'm asking you, would you come and forgive me and save me and come to live in my life? And the moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes in and more than that, Christ comes into your heart and he shines his light in your heart. And so John is saying that he is the light and he is the light, but he wants us to experience that light. Did you hear what it said? And the life was the light of men. God wants you and me, he wants us to hold his light so that everywhere we go, remember Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We are to be light bearers. And so when God, when God reconnects us, because we're all born in sin, we're all born in darkness, the Bible says. But when we come to Jesus and realize that he died to rescue us, the moment we receive him, we are wired up, the light comes. And so we can, be, we can carry that light everywhere we go. And we need to know that God has wired us for himself. I wrote this down and it's kind of got me after I wrote it. And I think it's a phrase we need to think about. God knows what we don't know about ourselves. God understands you better than you understand yourself. And I don't know what's going on with you right now or where you are, you know, emotionally or spiritually or, or even physically. I don't know what your needs are or where you are, but I can tell you this, that God knows everything about you. He knows exactly how to, send, to set things right in your heart and in your will and your emotion. He wants, all he's waiting for is you to say, come. He's just waiting for you to ask him. He can sort out stuff that you can't sort out yourself. Because he made you. He's the creator. He made every bit of you. He put your emotions and your wills and he wired you up. Even in the womb, he wired you up so that you would function and that he would be able to speak into your heart. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. He made you. He created you for himself. I thought there was a wee, lovely wee story here that I really liked about motor car because I just thought this was quite, quite good. Let me just read you this little story. Um, <clears throat> it's a story about how uh, a man called Charles Steinmetz I'll just stick with Charles if that's okay so I'm not having to say that all the time so this guy Charles was a mechanical genius and he was a great friend of Henry Ford you know Henry Ford the motorman so they said that, that this guy Charles Steinmetz that's the last time I'm saying that Charles said this, this guy Charles that he could actually build a motor car in his mind he was a genius and if the motor car broke down they said that Charles could actually fix it in his mind so when he designed it and actually built the car the car usually ran with precision because the man was such a genius now one day the assembly line in the Ford plant broke down and none of Ford's men could fix it so they called Charles and he tinkered for a few minutes through the switch and the, start, the car started to run again. Now a few days later, uh, Henry Ford received a bill from Charles and the bill was for $10,000. And Ford wrote back, Charlie, don't you think your bill is a little high for just a little tinkering? And Charles sent back a revised bill, a different one. And here's what he had. Tinkering, $10. Knowing where to tinker, $9,900. <laughs> you see, he made the car. 
And he knew exactly where to go to, and he didn't have to waste any time. He knew exactly where to go to fix it. Do you know that God's your creator? He knows when things are not out of sync. He knows what you need. He knows how to tinker with the bit that's not quite right or lined up with him. God loves you, and he made you, and he knows you. He's your creator. It says in this book, only Jesus knows where the tinkering should be done in our lives to keep us in perfect running order. He's the God who made you. He's the God who loves you. He's the God who wants you to understand his love is so great and so perfect that you can trust him for everything. That's why we can trust him, because Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He'll sort you out and keep you running. And so we need to know that our life is in his hands, and he's come to give us this life and to give us this light. And he wants us to know we can trust him. And sometimes we are, sometimes there are dark spots in us. Sometimes things are going on and we don't understand it. And it seems like it's a bit dark. You know, it's really good to bring that to God and say, God, I want to bring this problem or this situation into the light. I want to give this to you, Lord. Would you shine your light? Would you show me if there's anything going on that you want to reveal to me? You know, there's a big part, percentage of you that's actually uh, the non-conscious part that you is running all the time, 24-7, you aren't even aware of. You ask God to help you, he'll maybe show you something that unconsciously is a problem. He's a God who understands you. He's a God who knows how to fix you. And he does it with his life and with his light. And so it makes sense that if we're going to trust this God, it makes sense that we'll understand that his light can shine into the deepest parts of our being. It makes sense that we will begin to walk in the light. Doesn't that make sense? That if, if he knows, if he is light and he wants to shine light, light and give us life, then it makes sense that we would look, look to him to show us how to walk in the light. You see, God is light. Isn't that what it says? God is light. And it says in James, I think it is, the first chapter, God is the father of light. He's our father. He, he, God is light and he wants us to be children of light. Now, before Jesus came, Isaiah and Malachi had prophesied in the Old Testament. They'd prophesied that, that spiritual light was going to come. Uh, Isaiah 9, I'm going to just read this to you because um, I love it in the New Living Translation. It says, nevertheless, this was written 700 years before Jesus came. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. Now, that's up. Zebulun and Naphtali are up around the Galilee area. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walked in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light is going to shine. That was given through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came to be the light of the world. I just love the precision of God's word. Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
The prophets were shouting out that the light was coming. They were saying, get prepared. Isaiah 49 and 6 says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the end of the earth. Isn't it amazing that Isaiah was prophesying that the light would come? And I mentioned it last week where uh, in Luke chapter 2 verse 32 there was an old man called Simeon. I can imagine him coming up bent over. I'd have this wee picture of him coming bent up with a walking stick shaking. I don't know why I think. Maybe it's from Mary Poppins or somebody. I see this old man coming. And he's, he's coming to see the child that Mary and Joseph have brought. And he looks at the child And Simeon obviously has been waiting all his life to see this child arrive. He believed God and he was trusting. And here's what he said. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. For as you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Can you imagine the joy as Simeon lifted this child and held him in his arms? And we mentioned that last week. This was promised in the Old Testament. And Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, says that the Son of Righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. And we mentioned that verse last week as well. And we need to remind ourselves that through the darkness of the Old Testament... God had promised that light was coming. You think of the sun. It's not S-O-N of righteousness in Malachi. It's S-U-N of righteousness. It's a picture of the light that's about to come. And during those dark 400 years when the Greeks were battling it out and persecuting Israel and all that stuff that we mentioned about last week, when that was all going on, God's promise was still sure that he was going to send one who would be the son of righteousness, who would... You know, and we talked last week how the sun rises and brings light and brings a new day. And God is the one who promises light and promises a new day. And so we see that that John is speaking about this light and he, he wants us to get this. Now, the secret, I truly believe this, the secret of spiritual success, the secret of keeping your mind and your will and your emotions in sync with God, the secret of living the life that God wants you to live is to walk in the light. There's no doubt about that. John's epistles, as an old, old man, when he wrote those letters, he's full of it. He says, walk in the light as he is in the light. God wants us to know what it means to live in the light. What does it mean to live in the light? Well, it means that we bring everything out and we're honest before God. And that we, when it's appropriate, that we're honest and open before each other. That we don't try to hide things and live in darkness. Because once we start to cover up our sin and pretend to God that we're better than we are, we're just missing out. John knew this in his gospel. His introduction to the gospel of John is all about presenting Jesus as the light, the light of the world, and how he gives us light and he puts light into us. And he wants us to be women who will carry God's light. Oh, how amazing that God wants us to be his light bearers. I just love that. And he wants you to know the joy of sins forgiven. When we bring our sins into the light, John's epistle says, John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, in fellowship with each other, 
The blood of Jesus Christ washes us from, cleanses us from all sin. And this is, the, this is the way we can live our lives free. Sin brings pain. Sin brings a, a, an unsettledness. It breaks our communion with God. And when we walk and bring it into the light, we're just reconnected again. We're wired up again. Turn to somebody and say, I want to get wired up. Romans 13, and I really felt I had to read this to you because light isn't only the way that God wants us to live so that we can be washed clean constantly and, and have our sins forgiven, but light is actually our armour. It becomes our armour. And I really wanted to read uh, from Romans 13. I think I have it handy here. Yes. It is high time to awaken out of sleep, for now is our salvation. It's nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. Light, walking in the light, is actually your armour. It's the way that God wants you and me to live. He wants us to, to, to walk in light. So, so far, and I'm, I've that many things around me here, I hardly know where I'm going, but so far we've looked at how we revised last week and we saw how God was the power of the word of God. We've looked at how John starts to write the gospel uh, as the last one that was written. We've looked at how Jesus came to give us life and light. And now we're going to look at how John, now the disciple John, who wrote this gospel, he's going to now talk, he's going to introduce us to the man who was sent from God. And we're going to look now as he introduces John the Baptist. And let me just read these verses. It says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that, through, that all through him might believe. He, that's John the Baptist, was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Um, I want to... Maybe read that again just in the New Living Translation, just so we can... Um, okay, so here we are. It says here, John sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So here we are, John starting to write and he's going to introduce us to John the Baptist. Now I wanted to tell you something that I find very intriguing. At that particular time in history, in fact many years before and many years after, there was a, a man, there was a group of people who lived in the Judean desert and their names were, they were, they were called the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S. -E -E now they had been there uh, quite a few years, even before, long before Jesus came. And as I say, they continued to live out in the desert long after Jesus was went back to heaven. But this group of people, they were very holy people. They were people who, who really wanted to set... They were fed up with the way the Jews were living and the, and the way the Jews were running the temple. They were just fed up with it. So they moved out as a protest. They moved out of Jerusalem and they went down to the desert. And they went down to live... Uh, outside, quite near the Dead Sea area, and uh, there was a. They've discovered archaeologists have discovered around Qumran that there's a, a whole, uh, whole community of them there who lived there. 
Now, there were people who, um, as I say, were living in protest, but uh, because of the, the sinfulness that was going on in, in Jerusalem and round about Judea at that time. And they actually, well, they, they were strict observers of the law of Moses. They kept the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that the Pharisees had given. Very strict. They observed the Sabbath in a very strict way. They observed their ritual purity. Very, very, like set-apart people. And one of the many names that they called themselves, they called themselves the Sons of Light. And uh, at the same time, they were people who copied the scriptures. Now, they were people like scribes who were very diligently, and I believe that if there was, I think they allowed up to two, two um, mistakes when they were copying, uh, and each mistake to be rectified. But if there was more than two mistakes, apparently they just scrapped the whole lot and started again. Very, very strict as to how they would copy the scriptures. So these people were copyists and they were preserving the scriptures at that particular time. Now, probably most of us know that in 1947, a little Arab boy was down in that Qumran area and he fired a stone to try and chase out a goat or something into this cave and he heard something smash and when they went in there, they discovered that there was a whole dose now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls which is one of the most important and unbelievable archaeological finds of our generation because it had preserved from way, way back in history and it preserved um, the, the scriptures that had been given way back and the, just about all of the Old Testament was, was actually there. And so these, these uh, Dead Sea Scrolls are very, very important. But here's the thing that I wanted to get across to you. We now believe, and many people believe, that John the Baptist may well have been part of this community. He may well have been living with this community for a while, uh, maybe even just for a short time, or even become one of their group. Who knows? And when we go to Israel, and we're going again, by the way, in 2021, God willing, um, when we go to Israel, we always go to Qumran. And when you go there, they, they bring you in and they show you some pictures and stuff and you can go to see the cave and everything. But one of the things they read out is they read about a, a young man who rose up to leave them and who went up to start baptising. Because if you go around, if you go around the Qumran area, there are loads and loads of what they call mikvahs. They're a place to be baptised. And the Jewish people, baptism wasn't a new concept whenever John baptised. It, it was a, a ritual a sign of purification. And the Jews would have walked down the steps into the water. That's what Bathsheba was doing, by the way, after her, after her menstrual period. That's what she was cleansing, a ritual cleansing. And so around Gumran, you see all of these, uh, like, um, well, I was going to say tank, because that's what we know, but it's not, it's in the ground. And you step down into them, and usually it's divided, so you step down one, one set of steps with a division for those coming up out of the water. And so I find it intriguing, do you not, that John the Baptist may well have been with this group of people who was set apart. And it's quite interesting that, that, uh, that these people they've discovered from lots of archaeological finds that, that part of their diet was locusts and wild honey. It's quite interesting, isn't it? So it may well be that when John was in Qumran with all of these people that the world looked at as being weirdos, that when he's there, that God maybe called him and said, you're now the time I'm sending you. Now's the time to go. Because maybe John realised and got a glimpse. He was living with men who called themselves sons of light. But was God saying, now the true son of light is coming and it's time for you to get moving. 
Now here's the point I wanted to make. There's a time in your life and in mine, probably many times, when God speaks to us and stirs us up and sends us. Now there's a greater, there's a greater vision and we all think, oh, why am I on this earth? Well, God has created you for good works. You, 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 were, you were born again, you've been brought into the world for good works. But you know, there are many good works and there are many calls. And there's many times that God sends us. It might be just sends us over the road to go and speak to a neighbour. It may be just to go and give somebody a word of encouragement. You know, I find it's, it's so amazing. I love if you send somebody a text and they say, Boy, that was just an, that was a word for me today. That's because God's prompting us. All the time he's prompting us. He's sending us to do those little tasks. Sometimes we're that busy looking for some big act of grandeur that we'll sweep in the white horse and we'll be the champion. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're looking, for, aren't we? We're saying, well, what am I going to be? You know. And sometimes God's saying, I just want you to be available. I just want you to keep yourself clean. Keep, keep the light. Keep walking in the light. Keep, keep being forgiven constantly. Being washed. Keep that armour of light around you. And you know what? I'll do the rest. Because I'll prompt you by my spirit. And I'll prompt you to go. And I'll send you many times. I, will. I, love, the, I love the call in, in Isaiah 6. Where uh, it's, a, it's a picture of... It's Isaiah who's writing it. And he's, he's um, being sent himself. But I, I'm going to read it to you. Because I think it's, it's beautiful. Isaiah 6. Where, where Isaiah had this uh, vision of God. And where he, he realised that he, he was able to have a glimpse into the into the um, throne of God. And here's what, what he says. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? This is God. Go for us. This is another insight to the Trinity. God, three in one. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. There's a call. Many times we are deaf to the little cause of everyday life that God's calling to us. Sometimes he's asking us to do things that are going to take us out of our comfort zone. Sometimes he's asking us to go and talk to somebody that really is rubbing us up the wrong way and go and show them love and kindness. Because do you know what? When we know God, we are different to the world. When we have God's light, we don't walk in the darkness. People who walk in darkness say, huh, her? She's a nasty one. I'll keep clear of her. God says, no, you go and you'll bless her. It's the opposite spirit, and God wants us to know that. And so I'm wondering if we understand that there's a time for each of us to move in answer to God's call. I've just written in your notes, sometimes we forget that people like John the Baptist were real people who had real lives before they stepped onto the pages of Scripture. The scripture had foretold that a man would come to prepare the way, and John stepped up to be that man. In the Cumberland area, there are multiple places for water immersion called Mikvah. Perhaps God spoke to John at Cumberland and said the time had come to send, to send him to preach and baptise so that those who were willing to repent would indeed repent. Because maybe John had an, a, an understanding and God God gave him an insight that the true son of light was about to come forth. I just love the fact that Isaiah had prophesied about John. Let's just read in, again in Isaiah 40, 
just one of the prophecies that uh, were given about uh, the, the one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. Hang on, till I get my place because I've pulled out my marker or have it. Maybe it's here. Ah, still here. The voice of one crying, Isaiah 40 verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Do you hear that? The voice. John the Baptist was coming to be what? A voice. Now I want to ask every one of you, and I'm asking myself, have you got a voice? We've all got a voice. Even William has a voice. Even though William hasn't got much language and he doesn't know uh, a lot of words, I'll tell you, William has a voice. And William can speak. And, you know, people come to me all the time, even today, Vivian came and said that William had blessed her because of something he had done in church. We've all got a voice. And here it says, 700 years before John comes, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Where was he? He was down in the wilderness, probably with these group of people called the Essenes. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so we see John the Baptist fulfilled, he fulfilled that prophecy and he came to be that voice. And he wants us, he wants us to know that we can be a voice for God as well. And so John was the Baptist who introduced, John the disciple was the one who introduced the Baptist. Here's the interesting thing. John's writing this, John the disciple, that's the one that was one of the 12 disciples. He's writing this gospel. And at the very beginning, he's introducing John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the one that pointed everybody to Jesus. And, and John the Baptist was with John the disciple. Actually, we're going to look at it next week. We're going to see that John the Baptist had disciples who came to him. It's interesting, John's gospel doesn't talk so much about, he doesn't tell us anything about the birth of Jesus. He doesn't give us a lot of details that the other gospels give us. He doesn't talk about, um, about the temptation. There's lots of things he leaves out. But we get a picture of him standing at the, at the end part of chapter 1. And it says John was standing, John, the, he wrote the gospel, was standing with two disciples. Two guys who had followed him. Two that had been baptised. Two that were looking, who'd repented and were waiting and looking for this light to come. Two that John had spoken to and said, look, the light, the Messiah is coming. I'm here to prepare the way for him. He had been faithful. He had preached it. He had, he had baptised. And here's two disciples standing beside him. And it says that John pointed to Jesus. He saw Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you know what happened? John, the, the one who wrote the gospel, and another disciple just left John the Baptist and the start of the follow Christ. So that's, the, that's the greatest thing we can do. We don't want people following us. We just want to be pointers to say, do you know what? That's the way to go. That's the way to live. Follow him. And that's what John was. He was a voice in the world, and he was preparing the way. Now, when John's writing this, I don't want you to get confused between John the, the Baptist and John the one who's writing this book, but when John's writing this book, it seems to me, okay, I better watch my time, I haven't got near finished here. We need to get why well, this is desperate. Okay, I need you to know a th- few quick things because I've spent too long and all of that. 
Okay, you need to know, and let's read on just the next few verses, and I promise you, I will have helped you out of here in about five or ten minutes, I promise you, okay? But I really feel that I got a bit carried away with myself there. Okay, here we are. What verse are we at now? Um, okay, let's just look at verse 10. Okay, here's, here's John, the writer of this gospel, and he's an older man now, and he's writing this gospel, and he's remembering. And it seems to me that as he remembers, he's just overwhelmed again by the truth of what actually happened. And he says that Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Do you know what? We need to get a grasp of that. Can you imagine that Jesus stepped out of of heaven, stepped out of glory, stepped out of the presence with his Father, running the universe after creating the universe, and he stepped out into the world that he'd created to, 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 be, to be with the people that he'd created. And it says they didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even his own people rejected him. That word own, he came to his own, that's the same word as home. It's exactly the same word as home. He was rejected. Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected. And there's a quote that says that Jesus, uh, here's the quote, it says that um, when the word, when the word Jesus came to this world, he did not come as an alien. He came home. He came to his home. He came to his own. But we didn't receive him. That's rejection. This is the God who knows what it's like to be rejected. And then it's almost like John is not only overwhelmed by the fact that, that, that God's own people didn't receive him, but it's like he's overwhelmed with the fact that God came so that we could be children. It goes on to say, he came to his own people and even they rejected him, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, it goes on to say, let me read this to you. I want to read this to you out of the New King James because at the two Bibles here, because there's some I like from, from some of the translations I like from, um, from the New Living and there's some I like from the New King James. And I really wanted to read this to you. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, I meet a lot of people and they have issues of rejection. I meet a lot of people who have issues as to, uh, you know, they were born by mistake. I want you to know that, that God is saying through his word here that you were made not just because your parents got together, not just because you had a desire to come into this world, not just because somebody else decided you would come, but because it was God's will that you would come to this earth and God's will that you would be his child. God, Ephesians 1 says that he has loved you and known you from before the foundations of the world. You need to know your value. You need to know you're loved. You need to know that you are a child of God. And that word, children of God, it's, that word means, it has the idea of children who are loved. It's a term of endearment. It's, it's almost like, you know when the Scottish people talk about bairns? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same idea as 
talking about your burn. It's a term of endearment. It's the same word that's used whenever, you know the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son? Do you remember the brother that wouldn't go in? And, and it's like the father comes and pleads with him and he says, you know, son, come into the party. And he says, son, for all that I have is yours. The word son is the same word. It's a term of endearment. You need to know that you're a child of God, that you're one of his children. No wonder John was so impacted by this truth that Jesus came to make us the children of God. He was so impacted by that. If you read his epistles, you'll see he's talking all, of, all the time. As an old, old man, he's talking to people who know Jesus and he's calling them little children. Little children love one another. John never got over the fact that Jesus came to be the light of the world, that Jesus came to give us life, that Jesus came that we could be in the family, that we could be his children. And so I just want to really encourage you today, as we wind up this morning, I want you to know that believers are God's little ones related to him by birth. Love you to get that, that you have been born into the family. This is a, we're going to see later on in this gospel what it means to be born again, born of the Spirit of God, not by flesh. We talked at the beginning about that big ship and how I saw the smoke coming up out of the funnel. And we talked about how the Word of God needs to be in our engine. We need to believe God's Word. We need to trust it. We need to receive the Word of God into our lives. And when our engine is stoked with the Word of God, we will cut through the waters of life. Now, when I, just as I finish, when I was out in Port Aventura another day, I was out. And I happened this time to see this lovely yacht. And it had the sails up. And it was just scudding across the water. And I thought again, wow, the Word and the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, when we put up our seals of faith, and we've got the Word inside us, and we're believing, and we're declaring the Word, and we say, Holy Spirit, come and blow on us. When he fills our seals, you know, we start to fly across that water. Do you ever feel you were lifted up out of a situation, and you just felt you were being carried over the top of the waves? Sometimes there are waves in our lives. Sometimes we're talking in the prayer room of storms. And sometimes there are storms. You know, I have known, I remember, I'm getting carried away here, but my father, I dreaded my father dying from when I was a little girl. My mother was killed in a car accident very suddenly when I was 12. And I think I dreaded that anything would happen to my father. I loved him so much. He, he showed me the love of God in being a father. But do you know when the time came when he died, when he died, the week before, the word of God was so powerful in me. I remember it so well. I was like up here somewhere. And it was like God, the word was alive. And I felt like my engines were stoked. I didn't know my father was going to die. Do you know, I was up there. I was going with the wind in my sails through that hard time. It wasn't hard. It was a time to glorify God. I remember wanting to put my hands up and worship at his funeral. I was so lifted up. You know, we have a God who can lift us up of the hard times. We have a God who can take us through. Get his word and be stoked up with the word. Make it part of your thinking. Get your mind renewed. Get your word from your being, from your soul. Get the truth of the word up into your thought life. Start knowing the word and thinking the word, renewing your mind, living by the power of God's word and his Holy Spirit will breathe on us and you will start to fly across the waters of life.
Lord, I pray that your word will be implanted. I pray, Lord, that you will teach us all how to go forward. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you came, you sent your son to come to give us life. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the word, the one who came to give us life and give us light and give us the secret of life. Lord, we just pray that you'll be with us. I really felt today that uh, that as we would, uh, we're not going to sing a song, we're going to play some music. But I really felt all morning, uh, even last night, I really had a sense that God wants you to respond to this. We're at the beginning of a new season, and I want to read this out to you. Do you know or have you forgotten who you are? Do you know what's been given to you? Do you know that you're a child of God who has the right and the authority to live life to the full? John said, to as many as received him, to them give he the right to become the children of God. You have authority and right. That word, and I know I'm going off a wee bit again, but that word, that word right and authority is from a word is exousia. And it means that you have the right and the authority to use the power of God, the dynamite, the dunamis of God. You have authority to speak his word with the same power that comes from him. You are dynamite. You, are, you have all the resources in Christ Jesus that you need. No matter where you are spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, you need to know this, that you're a child of God and you have the right to be that child. And you are an heir to all that God has for you. So I would love, just as this music starts to play and just reminds us of all that Jesus stepped into for love of us, I would love that if there's any of you who feel that you want to have more of this life that Jesus died to give you, if you want more of that, I would love you just to step up as a response. I remember... When I was, I was brought up in a culture where nobody moved and nobody put their hand up and nobody certainly got up. And I remember being so challenged at a meeting when I was in my early 20s that I stood to my feet and I was trembling from head to toe. It was the biggest thing I'd ever done. It was, I, was, I was a mess. But I knew, and you know, to this day I still remember it. And so I'm not saying that you all have to come up to the front at all. You can talk with God right where you are. But I'm saying if you want to make a response that maybe you'll never forget this moment, I would love as we play this, that you might say, I want to open up my heart. Lord, I want your light to flood me, and I want more of your life, and I want to grow this season at Eagles, and I want to go forward knowing more about you, but knowing more of you. I want to be like the beloved disciple, the one who laid his head on the breast of Jesus. I want to know intimacy with the Lord. If you want that, I'm saying come forward. And we have prayer people here who come around you and pray over you. So, Father, we just thank you for Eagles today. We pray that you're ministered deeply. And we pray, Lord, that you would really do a work in us today. And, God, that in the weeks to come, that we might step out and grow and go forward to be the woman that you're calling us to be. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.